Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of this week's Buckeye Talk. Uh, Doug LaMaurice is not here because he's on vacation with his wonderful family, so it's just Bill Landis and myself. Uh, we'll miss Doug, but I'm you assuming... yourself. I'm Ari Wasserman, and I didn't introduce myself because I just assumed that you already know who I am. Um, Doug's in South Dakota right now. We'll miss him, but I think we can bring it. Do you think we can bring it? I'm like 50-50. So basically what we're going to do today is answer a bunch of different types of questions um, from Twitter, uh, from recruiting to team coverage and stuff. We're kind of in the dog days of summer. Once July starts coming into the calendar, I mean, we've talked about just about every possible thing, um, but I think there's a lot of loose ends, huh, Bill, that we need to Yeah, I feel like, like we haven't, we do this once a week and we've done a couple, with the basketball news that's happened, we've done a couple a week, um, the past few weeks, but I feel like we haven't talked about 2017 Ohio State football team in a while. So we got some questions about that. We do have a couple of recruiting questions. Um, but I think it'll be good to just sort of, yeah, tie up some loose ends, like you said, and, and hit a bunch of different topics quickly um, before the calendar turns to July and uh, we really start hitting the ground running a little bit. You want to hear something crazy? Yep. Because I just downed on me today. Big Ten Media Days, which is my official start of Big Ten old college football season, mm-hmm. is in a month and three days. Yeah. So, like, I mean, we're, we're basically there. Um, 24th, right? Yeah. 24th and 25th in Chicago. Yes, sir. So, anyway. Yeah, Where do you think going to go for Ohio State? JT? That's a good, that's a good question. No, definitely JT. JT is definitely going to go. Um, wow. It's typically like Billy Price? or the Billy Price, Chris JT, Worley? Chris Worley are probably the three, yeah. It's always the seniors and the ones that they bring out the most to interviews, and I'm assuming that we're going to get a pretty steady dose of uh, those three guys this fall. I can't remember if it's... It's usually two players, right? Is it's it ever, been three in the past, I is think. Is it three? Yeah. Okay, then it'll be JT, Billy Price, and Chris Worley. I think a uh, potential curveball would be Jamarco Jones, who is a senior and is from Chicago, and that's where Big Ten Media Days are. So it'll be pretty cool for him to go there. Yeah, I think it's those, and then the field is plus 500. <laughs> because... I'm not taking the field. <laughs> uh, it's basically... Again, all it is is just... Uh, the seniors, the, the upperclassmen, the people they trust to say the right things. I mean, because they're sitting around a table for an hour, and those mics are hot, you know? Yeah. Um, so how do you want to go into this first? you want to start with team stuff? Because I've got a lot of really good questions. I think um, I was just going to pick the questions in the in the order they were given to me. I didn't really have any rhyme or reason. Okay, let's do it. Ask them. Okay, one quick thing before we get into the questions. Um, not that you're listening to this and it matters because you're already listening to it, but... Um, we're on or we're in the Google Play Store now, um, Buckeye Talk for Android phone users. So if you have a friend 
who's an Android phone who maybe wasn't listening to Buckeye talk because uh, they have a hard stance against iTunes and iPhones. Um, let them know that if you have an Android phone, we've been on Stitcher for a while, but I realize that everyone uses Stitcher. Um, we are also in the Google Play store now. If you su- search um, Buckeye Talk in Google Play, you'll find us. Which means we should be getting a pretty steady bump of listeners. Right? I hope so. I hope so. It took a while to uh, to get us in there because I'm uh, computer illiterate, and the first time I tried it, it seemed very difficult. The second time I tried it, it could not have been easier, so I'm just an idiot. So apologies it took that long um, to get in the Google Play, but we are there now. Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Um, SoundCloud, and uh, wherever books are sold. And your hearts. And in your hearts, yeah. Okay, questions. We got a lot of them. Appreciate you guys sending them in. Let me figure out how Twitter works, and I'll pull them up. First question is from, not from Mark Kern, former Cleveland.com employee, uh, from David Lillenfeld on Twitter. He says, and this is, a question that we asked like 10,000 times since Devin Smith left, but I guess it's worth answering now with questions about the receivers. He asked who will be the deep ball threat in the receiver room this year. We haven't had one since Ohio state beat Alabama and Oregon. Who you got? Who's your and, deep that, and that deep ball threat was, I think one of the most underrated reasons why Ohio state won the national championship. It was huge. And he got, he became a second round pick because of how well he caught the deep ball and really in, in those three games. Um, is it weird to say that I'm not sure that they're going to actually have one again? No, I mean, I, I don't know who you'd pick because they're all... I mean, the only one that improving. anybody's going to pick uh, from the beginning is just Ben Victor because he's tall, you know? And I think that a lot of times yeah. the lack of having a deep ball on this roster has turned into trying to reach or find who's going to be the next person. And then what do you do just naturally when you think of who the next guy could be, who's the tallest guy in the roster? Um, I do actually believe, and I think we've covered this in previous podcasts, but I think that he's going to be a... RW1. WR1. Wide receiver one. Right wing. We're um, talking hockey. Uh, we're definitely not talking hockey ever on Buckeye Talk. But the draft's coming up, though. That would be like my guess if somebody were to come out of left field because I think that uh, Austin Mack is, is a smaller bodied guy who is, if he does break the rotation, is kind of a precision route runner, good hands. Um, I don't know if he was necessarily known in high school for being the guy that you throw um, behind a defense on. Um, and I think Ben Victor is that guy. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that anybody that has been on this team the previous two or three years who was a major part of the receiver rotation is going to all of a sudden wake up and become that guy. So in my opinion, it has to be one of the two young guys. Um, and I might have even considered putting Trayvon Grimes into that conversation, but as long as he's still recovering from that torn ACL and isn't going to be 100% until midway through the fall camp, it's kind of hard for me to envision that he's going to jump people over. So the safe bet is Ben Victor, but I think if I had to make a bet on it, I would say that... They're going to be improved passing, but there's not going to be somebody like Devin Smith in this roster they can just throw up down the field, and he's going to go up and get it. I'll throw one other name out, because uh, I agree with everything you said, especially about the, the guys who are returning. Um, I think they're like good possession receivers, which is what you need, but I don't know if any of them have the combination of speed and ball tracking skills that you need that Devin Smith had. And Devin so Smith was like a high jumper on a track, a track star. He's so, a track like, star I mean, there's, there's also a part of that that is just kind of hard to duplicate. I mean, the guy just was able to jump. Right. Here's another name. Johnny Dixon, who's got the speed. We know that. And I thought in the spring game, he looked like a guy who had some pretty good ball tracking skills. He caught some deep balls that weren't perfectly thrown, were a little underthrown, to be honest. And he sort of contorted his body, slowed down his route, found a way to catch those balls. 
And if you go back to 2014 and watch Devin Smith, that's a lot of what he was doing. Not every deep ball that was thrown his way was right on the money. He was really good at reading, I mean, a lot the, of reading the ball in the air and adjusting on it Cardale while moving at top speed. And yeah, it's like under, it's under a, throw. And it's hard to hit a guy pinpoint when he's 50 yards down the field and, and moving, obviously. But you need to be able to, to, to track the ball and, and position yourself in a way to make the catch, not just run to the spot. And to your point, the one reception that always stands out to me when I think about Devin Smith in that postseason run was the first touchdown of Cardale Jones' season that year, which was the uh, deep ball in the Wisconsin Big Ten mm-hmm. Championship game. It was down the right sideline, and he threw it, and it felt more like Devin Smith did 95% of the work, and Cardale might have even underthrown it. Right. And I don't know if anybody on this roster I haven't seen with my two eyes could make that play. So, you know, it, it was just a tough play, and we're talking about an NFL receiver here, so it's not like it's just something that's easily replaceable, and I think that there's a chance that Ohio State, though improved, or I'm expecting them to be improved, it's the number one concern they've had to address in the offseason. I don't know if there's anybody on this roster just yet um, that can do that. Okay, so we're going to jump around to a bunch of different topics, so this might not make much sense, but I'm just ans- answering the questions in the order they were received. So these... Uh, Combine these two playoff questions from uh, Nathan G Nilly ninety seven on Twitter, and I think he's asked this before. Maybe we did, we forgot to answer it. Could Ohio State's thirty one nothing loss last year in the playoff cause them to lose an argument with the committee when being discussed against similar teams with similar resumes this year? That's a really good question. You want to know why? Because well, actually, I was in the camp. Um, and I had this thought, we were at the camp on Saturday, the instructional camp in Ohio State, had a bunch of prospects there, and I remember vividly having the thought of, like, this team just lost 31 to nothing in the playoff, and this place feels like they won the national title still, and I was impressed by that. But I do think that both Bill and I were on that playoff conference call every week uh, last fall. We wrote stories about the analysis of it, and I do believe in my heart, even though no committee member can ever say this on the record, because everything about that committee is what's happening this year. Nothing is a past influence. But I do think that Ohio State missing the playoff the year before with the team that was as talented as they were and what they did to Notre Dame was in the back of the committee's head at some point. Because truthfully speaking, if you go back and you look at the resumes of last year, Ohio State walked into the playoff. And I'm not saying that they didn't deserve to be in the playoff, but it seemed like it was an open and shut debate or that there wasn't even a debate. And I think part of the reason why is because Ohio State was proven talent. Two years ago, they were the, the four seed and won the national title. The following year, they had all those draft picks come and were left out because they lost the game they couldn't. And truthfully speaking, Ohio State lost the game they, shouldn't have to Penn, they couldn't have to Penn State last year. And they somehow, uh, yes, their resume was better. I'm not saying it's the same exact thing. They had better quality wins. They beat Oklahoma. And, and some of the things that happened to them was, you know, they're doing, but I do think that there is a chance that Ohio State may not get the same benefit of the doubt that they got the previous year because I do believe in my heart they got the benefit of the doubt because of 2015 last season. I buy all that. I'll say this. I think 31 nothing only matters if this season plays out similar to last year. If Ohio State's offense isn't better or Ohio State goes through the regular season with one loss, People still consider them one of the best teams in the country because they're Ohio State, but their offense still looks as bad as it's looked the last two years. Then 31 nothing comes into play. If Ohio State's 11-1 and or 12-0 and or 13-0, and whatever, if they win the Big Ten championship, 
um, and their offense looks like it looked in 2014, 31 nothing doesn't matter. Even if they have one loss, right. maybe compared to someone, 31 nothing does not matter if the offense looks drastically different and than it's like the last What game. I was saying, I just want to be clear, was that if they are in a situation where there are other teams with similar claims. Right, which was part of the question, yeah. And, um, and it's important, like you said at the top, like it's not supposed to matter, but it would matter. I and think. it's humans. Right, it's human. That's the, that's the the beauty of having human beings making this making the decisions instead of computers. But I do think that any scenario, if Ohio State is a Big Ten champion, and like I used to say before the playoff system, that if Ohio State goes undefeated, they're going to the title game no matter what. I think if Ohio State, you can take it a step further now, and I would say ninety five percent, if Ohio State is a one loss conference champion, they're going to the playoff. Yeah, uh, maybe even higher of a percentage than that because just there isn't there is never four undefeated teams and. When I used to say go undefeated and take care of yourself, that was only the situation because there was never three undefeated teams. Um, so I think Ohio State's in a very good position. The committee loves them. And even though you said that their offense looks different, last year Ohio State's offense was pretty bad at times. And I don't think it was ever a discussion of Ohio State's offense this week ever about anyone going into that game. No, but it will be now. And it should have been because last year. Of, the committee was made to look stupid last year by putting Ohio State in, in the playoff, frankly, I think. And I think that they frankly, have missed the boat two years in a row. I think the 2015 team probably was one of the four best teams, clearly. It's wrong to leave them out. And then, and then I mean, wrong, wrong to leave, put them in. in. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you can make that argument. You can make the argument, yeah. Um, another playoff question from G. Nilly um, says... Every week, G. Nilly. I love this guy. I love G. Nilly. He's a very loyal, loyal listener. Uh, talk about the impact of Gene Smith joining the playoff committee. Ohio State's athletic director, Gene Smith, uh, will join the committee this year. Um... There are some others joining the committee. Forgive me, I forget them off the top of my head. Um, no impact. No impact. He has to recuse himself from any discussion pertaining to Ohio State. Could so you spell that word? If somebody said recuse? Yeah, R-C-U-S-E. Oh. R-E-C. Sorry. I don't know that I would. R-E-C-U-S-E. Yeah, I can spell it. Then proceeds to misspell it. But I think it was more of a mental. I couldn't have spelled that word. And I think just for the sake of. Um, I'll dumb it down for the people who are like me and don't speak as well as as elegantly as Bill Landis. He just has to remove himself from the room. Right. So, but I, <laughs> I guess one one potential impact is like Gene Smith will not be in the room when Ohio State's being discussed. But I guess the flip to that, and maybe this is what Gene Nilly was getting to, is like Barry Alvarez is not in the room anymore. And if Barry Al- Barry Alvarez was the guy banging his fist on the table saying Ohio State or someone from the Big Ten needs to be in the playoff, and now that voice is gone because the Big Ten voice in the room happens to be Ohio State's athletic director, maybe that can change things, but I don't think so. I, like you said, if Ohio State is in a position to be in the playoff, I don't think it matters that Gene, whether or not Gene Smith's in the room. And Ohio State's going to be in a similar situation this year. Um, the biggest thing that we have to remember and we've stressed last year was that in 2015 when Ohio State lost one game and got left out, they literally had no other quality wins on the entire season, right? In 15? Yeah. No, their best and win And that was, was the reason they didn't go. Their best win was Michigan, Michigan yeah. I think. Uh, this year, Ohio State's schedule is setting up this a lot like last year. They're playing Oklahoma again. And, you know, knowing what we know about Oklahoma, even if Ohio State's head and shoulders above uh, in talent with Oklahoma and beats them. Oklahoma is still probably going to finish the season at worst at nine and three because that's what they do in the Big Twelve every year, um, and they'll get credit for that. They're playing Penn State. I think Penn State comes into the season now with a lot of respect that they didn't have last year. It's a uh, five team, yeah. You know, and I think Penn State might have been more in the playoff conversation if last year happened this year, just because I think the momentum of having that, uh, you know, people thinking of you in a high regard before you do anything, I think sometimes is advantageous. And of course, they have Michigan, so. Um, but, yeah, that's a really good point. I never really thought about the inverse of losing 
another Big Ten person and adding the guy that works for you because um, that was a good point. I thought you brought up about Alvarez, but I think Ohio State mainly controls its own destiny in this race, especially considering they've shown they've gotten the benefit of doubt in the past. Yeah. Okay. All right. We had some. We got some non-football questions, and I'll I'll save them. Or maybe no. Let, let's sprinkle them in. We'll sprinkle in non-football questions. This is from James Octavius, and he uh, addressed this specifically to you, Ari, <sighs> who is the uh, single man on the podcast who's out out in the town every night, every single night. every night. <laughs> Things that piss you off most when you're at a bar. Bill's been at a bar with me before. One time. One time we went out. It was a good time. Best night of my life. Salt Park loving. The thing that I can't stand when I'm out are two things. One, I hate when you're trying to stand at the bar and you can't get a bartender's attention because you're not hot. You're not a hot girl. I don't have and I think that problem. That's, Bill's six five, so he just and he's a very recognizable person in the community. So people <laughs> tend to bring. Not only does Bill not have that issue, people buy him drinks. Yep. Um, and I also hate thirsty females <laughs> who talk to guys. Only to get them to buy them drinks because they're cheap and then bail on Oh, you them. mean like literally thirsty, like I want to drink thirsty. Not- I think both. I think it was a, <laughs> there was a strategically used word. Um, and that's why I have a I don't buy drinks for girls policy. Ever? I think once you've crossed the threshold of they're clearly you know, interested yeah, in you, you know. you know. I never use buying drink as a way – because I think most guys just say, I don't know what to say, so I'm going to buy you a drink. Um, I usually – come up with something different to say and then once we are having a conversation or I like them then I'll offer I just don't ever use that as I mean I've seen friends drop 250 bucks buying people drinks that that's crazy you know and it's just you know that's my those are my two pet peeves okay okay back to football back to football that was a good answer I think that I think that was very insightful (laughs) (laughs) more insightful than the football stuff I'll tell you that I get another football question Eric Eric Bronstein whose Twitter profile is him in an Ohio State hat with a Virginia Tech logo behind him. That's confusing. I think he wants to know about Tracy Sprinkle. Hmm. What the latest on Tracy Sprinkle is, and will he be full go come fall camp? Um, we don't get to talk to the guys like at all, basically, from when spring ball ends until August. Um, but for all we know, Tracy Sprinkle will be a full go. They were expecting him to be a full go in fall camp. Um, but I think it's an interesting way maybe to talk about the defensive line or defensive tackle in particular. And what we think that position might look like this year with Sprinkle back, Michael Hill back, Draymond Jones back. Um, some like intriguing young guys with Robert Landers and Malik Barrow, Haskell Garrett coming in uh, as a true freshman, Jaron Cage coming in as a true freshman. Like, how deep are do you think they can go at defensive tackle with all those guys I just listed? And, and where, maybe in that pecking order, do you think Sprinkle will? Well, I think I agree with you that, I mean, the guy towards ACL early in last season, it's been almost a whole year now. First so, game. you know, I, I think that. Uh, the anticipation is that he will be full gun, ready to go. What was he, just as a reminder, what do you remember seeing of him? Was he just kind of uh, around in the spring? And he, was always... in, he was in pads, like in shoulder, like, and I don't even remember if he was wearing a brace or not, but he was definitely doing some stuff moving around. He wasn't like completely immobilized and sitting there in a t-shirt and shorts. He was doing some stuff. Um, but I do think that with the guys that you had uh, just said are returning, that Sprinkle because he was a starter last year. I mean, they needed him. The starters at the beginning of the year were Sprinkle and Michael Hill. Um, so assuming that he gets into the situation where he's as good or as reliable as he was a year ago when he earned that spot, I think he's going to be involved heavily in the defensive line rotation this year. Um, and, you know, we've talked endlessly about the the ends and the tackles and how many options they have. We don't even know how they're going to get everybody on the field. But it wouldn't surprise me if he was a second stringer technically on the depth chart. But played as much as the other two tackles. 
I think he's going to be a first string on the depth chart just because they give preferential treatment to seniors on paper. Um, but I honestly do think if he's healthy, that when they take the field on the first defensive series or first defensive snap against Indiana on August 31st, um, the two defensive tackles will be Tracy Sprinkle and Draymond Jones. Um, I think they're the two best. I like Robert Landers a lot, um, and maybe at some point he'll be a starter. But and the thing about Landers Sprinkle's is really gotta... good. Tracy Sprinkle's really good. We haven't seen a lot of him, and he had his troubles at the beginning of his career. But I think they expect that he is going to have a good season this year, and he's like a borderline NFL guy, I think. The one thing I wanted to talk about, too, about Landers is, and we I wrote a big story about him last year about just how he's kind of a little undersized and uh, still makes plays. I wonder if there's a ceiling on Landers, because um, I saw him at the camp on Saturday, and he looked pretty big, bigger than he did last year. Is there a ceiling on somebody playing interior defensive line that's that big in terms of how many plays that body can handle, or do you think there's going to be a point in time on this team where he is taking the most reps in the entire game at the tackle position, or do you think he's always just going to be somebody who brings energy in off the bench when uh, the other guys need to blow? Probably more likely the second one, especially with the way they're recruiting. Like if Taron Vincent, is it Taron or Taron? I think it's Taron. Mr. Vincent. Tehran. When, when Troy Vincent's son gets here. Um, that was a bird. He was a bird, yeah. If he jumps Robert Landers, like, of course he did. He's a five-star defensive tackle, the best defensive tackle in the country. Um, yeah, I think it's more likely that Robert Landers is, like, a a role player, for as weird as that sounds. And maybe you don't hear that that much in football, but he's going to play. I think he brings an interesting change of pace for an offensive line when you're in there with these giants and then all of a sudden you throw at a guy who's, what is he, five foot ten? Yeah. Really low to the ground, tough to block. Um, and I thought that's what you saw last year was like he came in and guys didn't quite know how to block him and all of a sudden Robert Landers is the first guy in the backfield. Um, so I think that role will always exist for him. Um, I would be surprised if Vincent comes in and hops him in this first year um, just because of what freshmen do in this program and what it takes sometimes. But I just have always wondered that if he, if he just wasn't big enough to be an every down defensive lineman. Uh, for an entire game. Um, the one question I have, can I go now, or are you hogging it? No, you can. I have one more interesting one I want to get back to. But, okay, go uh, ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Okay, uh, Jim Kroniger. Um, Love Jim. How are the new coaches fitting in with the existing coaches? How is the recruiting, because it's tough to lose, fickle? And I have a big story that's running on Wednesday. Um about the in-depth look at the expansion of Ohio State's recruiting department. Uh, please read it. I spent about a month and a half reporting on it. It's really Bill, interesting. I've also asked Bill to edit it six times, so I just, <laughs> you know, hopefully there are no typos. Uh, but I got a one-on-one interview with Urban Meyer in his office, and I, you know, those are very few and far to come by. And as I was transcribing, I might I have some quotes. Maybe I'll, I'll do a short post or something in the next week or so um, about Billy, Bill Davis, because I thought that that was the most interesting one. He's the only member on this staff um, – who comes in without any recruiting experience when it comes to just being in the NFL. They never had to do that. And uh, Urban Meyer said specifically that if he didn't know that guy for 20 years, there's no way he ever would have hired him. And he said, I'm happy that I took that gamble. It was a major risk. And he didn't, he acknowledged, you know, if you haven't recruited or you can't recruit, you can't be on the staff a million times. And I think from a recruiting standpoint, Bill Davis has already done, um, has had returns in Urban acknowledged it by saying, you know, you've got the testimony with uh, Mitchell and Gant who have committed in the time since. And when you're the linebackers coach in this, in this team now, it's not like when Fickle was an assistant where his territories at the beginning of his tenure with Urban Meyer were, were Columbus and Pittsburgh. By the time Luke Fickle left, he was Ohio and national recruiting linebackers. And that's the way it works now. There's no more. I think that the territories are starting to 
It's a good idea. I might write that down. <laughs> but I think that the recruiting tories, territories in general are starting to meddle a little bit. It's more about getting the national guys because they've ascended to that that potential. So I wanted to make that point. I'm happy we got to it um, on the podcast about Bill Davis. Major risk with that's having returns. And then, you know, the thing we always say is they're prospects who want to play at the best program in college football. Like what? It's not that hard. They have the product. It's so much easier to sell a product than it is to sell yourself. And if you have the testimony and the product, then, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve credit, but I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I feel like anybody could come in and recruit Ohio State, because especially when you bring in Irvin yeah. at the end. Um, I'm going to say one thing, and I'm going to ask you a question um, coming off that. Um, Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day, for all we can tell, are fitting in fine. That is the interesting dynamic to follow, because Bill Davis is a positional coach. He coaches the linebackers. It's Greg Schiano's defense. I don't think it would have been very difficult for Bill Davis to fit in from a coaching standpoint. The recruiting stuff that you laid out would have been an adjustment, but... Fitting in with the defensive assistant coaches, I think, was was never going to be an issue for Bill Davis. He'd been around for the program with the program for a year before taking the job as the linebackers coach. Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson are entering a offensive play calling mechanism with Urban Meyer and the other assistant offensive assistants, Tony Alford, Greg Studrawa, Zach Smith. Um, that didn't work for two years. Didn't work. There seemed to be confusion on whose role was what. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there was ever any kind of animosity, at least none that we saw, and I don't want to even speculate that there was any, but clearly something was wrong within that offensive play-calling mechanism, and now you're throwing in two new guys, one of which has been in the NFL, the other has been a great offensive coordinator everywhere he's been, and I think it's an interesting dynamic when you're bringing in two strong personalities like that into a room that had some problems. Maybe the strong personalities will help, and that's what they were missing. Um, but it's be interesting that you asked that question because Jim, who asked the previous question, also said, does Coach Wilson have freedoms with the offense that Warner, in fact, did not have? So Probably. Can, I would assume so. He probably should. I can imagine that he's coming in here feeling as if it's not his offense. Yeah. You know, And I think that part of the the stuff that goes along with that is just the friendship that he's had with Urban and a lot of the people that he's hired, Greg Schiano, Davis. I mean, the list goes on. Um, I think he came in here hopefully – from Urban Meyer's standpoint, is a favor of, hey, we have a situation on offense we need to fix. I need your expertise. Come in and run the show. And I kind of feel like that's the way I think of it. Um, obviously, this is Urban Meyer's team, and there's going to be uh, – I think there's always going to be a committee of some sorts when it comes to calling the plays in the offense and how they approach things philosophically. But I would not be surprised, and I anticipate, that Wilson will have more freedom and more of the hammer when it comes to how to run this offense than the coaches that left. I mean, we can just say it, it never seemed like Ed Warner or Tim Beck. They never seemed like guys who would be very comfortable challenging Urban Meyer on anything. Um, I think Tom Herman was, or at least grew into that in the three years he was in Columbus, and Kevin Wilson should have no problem whatsoever saying, listen, Urban, this is what we're doing. This is what's going to work. I've done this before at a very high level. Let me do my thing. So I, I think he will have at least more freedom than the previous offensive coordinators had, probably as much as Tom Herman ended up with by the end of his tenure. But I want to circle back to Billy Davis and his recruiting because the question mentioned Luke Fickle, and this is something we talked about a lot with Luke Fickle, that he was the guy who sort of like mined Ohio for three-star prospects who turned into Darren Lee. Um, And we don't know if Billy Davis is going to do that. I just want to ask you, because you have your finger more on the pulse of recruiting than I do, to me, it doesn't even feel like there are guys out there right now who could potentially fit that description of an underrated Ohio guy who could eventually end up in the class. Am I wrong for feeling well, you that want to way? Know why Should you feel there be guys in, in play at this point now? I think the reason why you feel that way is because the 2018 class in Ohio was as deep as it's been in Urban Meyer's era. 
So yeah. I think that at the time when you combine that with the fact that they're – I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but out of the 13 commits, I think only two or three are from Ohio, um, just off the top of my head. So they're recruiting at a national level that they did last year, 2017, and they're doing it again. And when you talk about the fact that there are seven or eight Ohio State caliber kids in Ohio that may or may not have room, I mean, like when you just think of a guy like Aeneas Hawkins from Cincinnati – He's a three-star kid, right? Or maybe four now. But the point is, is that he might have been a Darren Lee type player back. You know, he's I, a guy I was thinking. I had to, him and Brian Esamo are the linebacker. For right, right. And, and, and I think, think it's possible that Esamo might be still looked. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are too many Ohio guys now for them to even have to worry about it. You take the best ones available, and that's what you have to do. I think it was a very interesting tool to have Fickle in that. Like if Esamo was in the 2017 class, I think there might be a chance he's on this team right now. Um, because they've done that. And Urban Meyer said on signing day that they save a spot or two at the end of the process for some of those under-the-radar Ohio kids. But I just think right now with the way they're recruiting nationally and the fact that this class is deep in Ohio, they just don't have the, the rope or the leash that they used to have in terms of having that extra spot because there might be seven Ohio kids in this year's class or eight, which is a third of it, which is higher than last year's, and that's because they're so good. Two other questions. Hit me with them, Dollarby. Um... <laughs> Do you think that we will see one or two of those guys in the end sign with Ohio State in 2018? And how does the December signing period, or how might the December signing period affect Ohio State's ability to do that? It's three months earlier, but it's a pretty big three months. You know, yeah. it seems like, ah, oh, it's not three months, no big deal. Um, but there are prospects who would have potentially signed with other programs that committed to Ohio State after December last year. So, um, I think I asked BB Landers this, and that was part of the story um, last year. Um, would you have signed with West Virginia had there been an early signing period? And he said no. And I think that Ohio State will instruct all the Ohio kids that are fringe that hey, we don't know if there's going to be a spot for you. There might be a spot for you. You gain nothing by signing with this program right now. Hold out, and if we don't have room, then you can sign with them in, in, in February. Now, I don't know how those programs are going right. to take that, the and that's that part of the problem because you could lose a spot that way. But let's put it this way. If there's a fringe Ohio State prospect that could be worthy of an Ohio State offer, you know in your heart that West Virginia is going to take that kid. You, you wait for him because that's going right. to be one of the best players in your class. So um, I think there's definitely going to be an impact on it. I don't know for a fact which – like I don't think Brian SMO is going to be in this class, and I don't think there's going to be a player that – we haven't heard of or a player that is under the radar um, at this point in time that's just going to automatically show up onto the surface uh, in November because I just think that the numbers are too tight this year. And if they're already at 13 commitments, they're going to be at 14. Now, 22 or 25 is the – I mean, we're not – there's not a lot of spots left. You start talking about yeah. Jackson Carmen and Micah Parsons and a lot of these other guys that are higher priorities, you can get to 18 really quick, and the next thing you know, you're almost full. Mm-hmm. So we're getting to that point now where Ohio State's got to start thinking about what they have room for. Stick with recruiting. Uh, Chase Richardson on Twitter. Uh, I thought that was a recruiter. He's a really good cornerback from uh, California. <laughs> Scared me for a second. Uh, Chase Richardson wants us to outline some of the remaining targets in 2018. He just touched on a couple there. Um, Jackson Carmen and Micah Parsons. Um, and then maybe highlight a few guys in 2019 as well. Um, so besides Carmen, who's a five-star lineman from Fairfield, Ohio, and Parsons, who's a five-star defensive end from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, um, who are some other guys in 18 that uh, people should know about who you think 
Ohio State once in this class. Okay, first of all, now that we're talking about remaining targets um, in uh, this year's class, I think that we should take a minute. Mm-hmm. And one of these questions that I'm not, that we didn't get, but I was hoping would get, was to talk about four-star defensive end Tyreek uh, Smith from Cleveland Heights. Mm-hmm. I wanted to discuss the shirt. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because he's one of their top remaining targets. He's a four-star kid, 40 offers, considering USC. He's one of those in-state prospects that they need to have in this class. And on Saturday, and I'm going to get to your question. I'm going to answer the other prospect targets that they have. Well, he fits in the question. But um, it just that reminded me um, of that. Um, what is your take on – because there was a lot of mixed feedback. Because I saw the shirt, and then I called um, him to say, why did you wear it? And he basically said – well, first of all, the shirt said, I hope I don't get killed today for simply being black or for being black, um, was the gist of the shirt. And he said that these are are topics and issues that he and his family find close uh, to their heart. And he knew that he was a high-level prospect that was going to be t- uh, photographed. I don't know why I had such a hard word time saying photographed Photograph. at the camp. And some people were like, yes, young man, stand up for what you believe in, use your platform. And other people were like, we don't want people with political agendas. Yeah. Uh, And I think if you really think about just both sides of that equation, it might be something that would be tough for a 17 or 18-year-old kid to process. Um, And I think he had to have known that this was going to happen going into it. But what's your take on – because we had this discussion last year with the Black Lives Matter movement and the national anthem and the mm-hmm. fists up. And these, I mean, this is a, it's a relevant topic. Whether you agree, disagree, or indifferent, you can't deny the fact that it is a relevant topic to African-American people in this country. And there were people on Ohio State's football team last year that had thoughts, and we've written about, standing or taking a kneel or putting their fist up during the national anthem this year. So I wanted to ask you what your take was about that shirt. Do you think a prospect should do it? Does he help hurt himself? And... Uh, you know, really, what was your your takeaway from that? I don't think he hurt himself. I don't. I think I think to, for anyone to think that Ohio State for some reason would now back off of Tyreek Smith because he wore a t shirt with a strong social message that you may or may not agree with um, is frankly kind of ludicrous. He's a great football player. He's as far as we know, he's not a problem off the field. Um, being outspoken should not be grounds for not recruiting someone, especially if it's something that they find. Right. Um, I mean, it's a personal thing to him, too. I mean, everybody has a thing that they would stand up for, and this is a relevant topic to him. Right. I I see 100% why someone would have an issue with the shirt. I get it. These are sort of um, tumultuous times, I suppose, and I don't want to get too in-depth on social discussions when we have a college football podcast. But I will say that I personally did not have a problem with him wearing that shirt. I get why he wore it. Um, I thought that he very eloquently explained why he wore the shirt. Um, not everyone is going to agree with him. I think most people probably wouldn't agree with him. I think there are a lot of people on that team who do agree with him and would stand behind him if he were a member of the football team and chose to wear, wear that shirt. Um, I think the coaching staff would do the same. It might make some people uncomfortable. It doesn't mean he's a player Ohio State is going to stop recruiting. The second after that camp was over, he went into the office to have a one-on-one discussion with Urban Meyer. They want him in the class. They need him in the class. He's one of the best players in the in the state, one of the best players in the country. And the only thing, and I basically just agree with everything that Bill said, I just wanted the podcast listeners to know that that is not going to hinder him from having a spot in this class. Okay, so now we're going to go to the top targets in the 2018 class. And I wrote a story last week basically outlining the top ten in order of importance. I'm just going to read the list. Okay. 
Five-star offensive tackle Jackson Carmen of Fairfield, Ohio. He's the number one offensive tackle in the class, number eight overall prospect in the country. He's in Ohio. He will be on this list number one overall until he commits and signs. He is a absolute must. And if you have anything you want to add, Bill. I have, a, I have a question I want to ask you when you get through the list. Okay. Number two, five-star defensive end Micah Parsons of Harrisburg. Uh, another top ten con- player in the country was once committed to Penn State. Visited Ohio State in the spring, opened his recruitment again after that Ohio State visit, and now is considered one of Ohio State's top targets. Ohio State's class right now is dominated by defensive linemen. There's always a spot for him. Crazy how many defensive linemen they have. Uh, and there might be more. I don't know. We're talking about Aeneas Hawkins, who's a four-star, three-star, fringe four-star prospect right now out of Cincinnati Moeller. And, you know, you just wonder where these spots are going to go. Uh, number three, four-star wide receiver Cameron Babb from St. Louis Christian Brothers College. They don't have a receiver in this class yet. Um, he's visited multiple times. Uh, he's their top receiver target. Number four is Smith, who we just discussed. And these are in order of the importance that I think they hold uh, just uh, on Ohio State's board. Just, again, being an Ohio four-star prospect, defensive end, there's another defensive line target that we're talking about. Number five, five-star cornerback Anthony Cook from Houston Lamar. Um, Ohio State has never pulled a kid from Houston in the Urban Meyer era. Um, now they're in on a few. Um, he's a five-star corner. He's one of them. Uh, number six is four-star tight end Jeremy Ruckert. Um, he's from New York. I always feel like he's from New Jersey because he participated in that satellite camp Ohio State had uh, the same day as Michigan had one in um, New Jersey last year. And I think that Ohio State has a pretty big need for tight end in this class. Um, we'll get into the tight end need a little bit more on this podcast here in a second. I had number seven was Matthew Jones of Brooklyn. He's listed as a defensive tackle. He committed on Saturday um, and is probably going to be an offensive lineman for Ohio State. Number eight, five-star corner Patrick Sertain Jr., Plantation American Heritage. Um, He might be uh, on the outskirts in terms of what's reality and what they get, but uh, it's the same high school that Torrance Gibson went to and can never have too many star uh, corners. Uh, Number nine is Blue Smith from Hubert Heights. He was also at the camp on Saturday, and I think now that I'm looking at this list, I might put him higher Mm -hmm. uh, just because um, Ohio State did not take a tight end in last year's class, and uh, and Blue Smith says he's a wide receiver. Urban Meyer told him he's going to be a wide receiver, but he is 6'6", 205 pounds at this point, and if the time came where you can add a receiver where if things went terrible or you lost something on the tight end depth chart, Um, on the roster that he could have some versatility to help plug a hole. I think his diversity and the fact that he's in Ohio makes him a prospect of need. And then number 10, uh, Juice Scruggs, Frederick Juice Scruggs. Um, He's from uh, Erie, Erie, Pennsylvania, which is the greatest place on earth. And he's the number three center in the class. And um, my friend over at land of 10, Jeremy Birmingham thinks that Ohio state's going to take five offensive linemen in this class. Um, So they added one with Jones um, they have one with um, Ray, Max, Max Ray, um, and so if you add Carmen into that list, uh, I think he's considered to be an Ohio State lean. Then you got two more spots, and you know off we go. So, what's your question? That was my question. How many offensive linemen are they going to take? Oh. Because they only took two last year. Clearly, they want to. It's almost like they want to reset the entire offensive line room. After like Billy Price has gone after this year, Jamarco Jones has gone after this year. You have Michael Jordan. Um, you have Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers who were in the last class. And then I think there's a lot of guys who either haven't lived up to what they should be, they're waiting for them to live up to what they should be, and in the meantime, I think they're looking at this class to maybe reset 
the depth on the offensive line. And I feel so, like this happens every three or four years where they get one big offensive line heavy class to kind well, of. Well, like, they took like three, like three years in a row, like four, 13, 14, 15, they took a ton of offensive linemen. And then very few of them have actually panned out. And then the in 16 and 17, they didn't take as many. Yeah, well, the hope, I think, for right now is that between Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and Jackson Carmen, if all three of those are hits, considering what they're rated, I mean, these are the highest rated linemen Ohio State's ever signed. Mm-hmm. You get all three of them on the same line, um, you might have a pretty special group there for the next two or three years. So, um, you know, I know Carmen's a year behind, but if you get all three of them together, the fact that both of those uh, other ones and Myers and, and Davis are true freshmen this year by the time those two are redshirt sophomores or juniors, and, you know, you might have a pretty special group. The other part of the question was 19 prospects um, to look out for. Yeah, you go ahead and read those off. Well, I'm just looking at at Ohio. This isn't national. Clearly there are guys nationally um, who they're after too, but I'm just a little stunned by when you look at Ohio's 2019 prospects, 247 Sports, just their rankings, not the composite, just 247, has four players in Ohio in a top 100 nationally, and they're all defensive players. Two of them are five-star prospects. Zach Harrison, defensive end from um, Olentangy High School, who and you I interviewed think him. Might, so he might be the most physically imposing fifteen-year-old I've ever seen in my life. Besides when you used to look. Besides when I was fifteen years old and looked in there, he's six foot six, two hundred and forty pounds, like as a sprinter on the track team. And it's always a little weird when you talk about high school kids and like their build and their athletic ability. He is a freak. I've never, I have never seen anyone who looks like him. Um, and you interviewed him on Saturday. He did not want to be interviewed on Saturday. Uh, seven of us interviewed him as he was walking to the car with his mother. Um, he was kind enough to entertain our questions, um, but he clearly was not very interested in answering them, which is fine. He gets hounded all the time, and he will for the next two years before he uh, goes to college. But in the little bit that he said, he seems um, very mature for a kid who's only 15 years old. Um but like with his answers and 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 sort of just sort of way he carried himself. I mean, he's a he's a child for all intents and purposes, um, but very mature. And and I think he's I would I would put him on the top of Ohio State's list for nineteen. I know he's a local kid. Maybe you don't put local kids as high, but five star defensive end in your backyard, who's the number three player in the country. I think country any right time now. there's five stars, they're they're on the yeah. top. Of, I think the closer they are to your house and the higher the rating, there's a direct correlation between where they land up on the board. The closer and the higher the rating. So three other players just quickly in Ohio for 19s. You have Zach Harrison is number one. Kate Stover, linebacker from Mansfield, mm-hmm. um, is number 42 in the country. Jawan Briggs, defensive tackle from Cincinnati. Walnut Hills is number 69 in the country. And Stephen Fauchot, I don't know if that's how you say it. Um, Fauchot. Defensive end from Lakota West is number 93 in the country. So you have a five-star defensive end, a five-star linebacker, a four-star defensive tackle, and a four-star defensive end are the top four players in Ohio for 2019. Okay, and i got a, a few other ones. Now, the thing that's happening is that this is the time in the year where rapid-fire offers are going out to 19 kids. Every day there's three or four more going out, and I think a lot of these offers, it's really hard to kind of gauge who's actually a real target and who they're trying to get in on early because these – Lists balloon up before their class comes in, and then they come down. Mm-hmm. So right now we're in the balloon process. Um, but a few names I know for sure that are going to be a part of this as time goes on, If since Bill just took care of Ohio, is Quinn Carroll. Um, he's a, uh offensive tackle from uh, Minneapolis who's visited a few times, uh, 6'6", 280, and he's a top 100 player, number 13 in Minnesota, or number one in the state, number 13 tackle in the country. Um Noah Kane, a five-star running back who was on campus this past weekend uh, from IMG um, in Florida. Number one running back in the 2019 class, number 23 nationally, and has Ohio State pretty high on his list. 
Um, five-star defensive end, uh, Stephen Heron Jr. from Louisville, Kentucky. Just put Ohio State was his top five, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, new list this past uh, this past week, and uh, he's a number 34 player nationally. Um, number one in the state of Kentucky, uh, top 35. Doug Nestor, offensive tackle, four-star, just put Ohio State in his top five. Was at one of Ohio State's camps. He's from Huntington, West Virginia. Number six offensive tackle in the country. Could be committing to Ohio State here pretty soon. Um, just so you know, there is a person named Keandre Jones in um, <laughs> who's an offensive tackle in Georgia. So since he's in Georgia, Ohio State can have him if he wants because Georgia sucks. <laughs> Do we get it? <laughs> we, okay. it. Um, Trey Knox, four-star wide receiver from, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce Tennessee. Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro. Master Teague's younger teammate camped this past weekend, number 21 wide receiver in the country, number 7 in the state of Tennessee. Um, and you can just keep going. I mean, Luke McCaffrey is an athlete, Dylan McCaffrey's younger brother, who they just recently offered. Who? What is he? It's quarterback. He's listed as an athlete now. I don't know why that's the case. Um, there's a lot. I mean, it's just hard to really narrow down uh, exactly who's going to be, but I think all the names I just mentioned are going to be surefire takes for Ohio State in 2019 and people that are in on uh, pretty early so far. Okay, so I have one other question I want to get to, and we'll wrap up. Was there anything you wanted to ask before I did that? I think we're good. Okay. I thought this was an interesting question um, from Chris Derry, at Chris Derry on Twitter. He asked us what we think or what would we define as Ohio State's kryptonite in 2017? Which is kind of tough to answer because we haven't seen them play yet. But I, I think their kryptonite last year, and tell me if you agree with this or not, was just a really good pass-rushing defensive line. Because their offensive line was bad last year. And where the two games where that showed the most were against Michigan, where I think JT Barrett got sacked eight times. Um, against Penn State, I think he got sacked six times. And of course against Clemson, they didn't score a point. So if you were asking what the kryptonite was last year in, in 2016, I would have said a great defensive line, and the handful of times they faced that, they looked awful. Um, For a second, I got confused and thought you said that they didn't have one. I was like, what are you no, talking no, of course about? They they have one. The kryptonite yeah, yeah. No, of course, is the, the opposite. The kryptonite <laughs> is the opposite of their strength. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing that drew, yeah. Anyway. No, I know. I just like, was thinking to myself, what's this guy talking about? So going into the season, I would say that that probably remains the case. I don't know what else it could be. It's, it's really tough for me to say that, like, the receivers weren't good last year. There's reason to believe that maybe they won't be drastically improved this year because a lot of the same guys are back. Yeah. But I also think it's really hard for a great secondary to completely lock down an offense, even for as good as Ohio State secondary was last year. Clemson did some stuff against them. Look, when you have the recruiting classes and the players that Ohio State has on their team, it's really hard to go. This position group is in trouble. But I am not on the bandwagon, and I don't think you are either, of saying this passing game has been fixed. They made the hire that Mm -hmm. would imply... Um, that it's going to be fixed, but I think a good secondary is their kryptonite. You find a, a, a team that can step up and you know jam some of these receivers at the line, put some pressure on Ohio on, on Barrett to make perfect throws and to have to do it quickly. And I'm not going to say that that problem is repaired until we see it prepared. So mm-hmm. at this point, I think it's clearly, I think it's pretty obvious that that is their number one issue. And until it's not their issue anymore, it's still an issue. So you might be reading stories all over the beat about how uh, Wilson's the savior and. Expect the freshman version of JT Barrett. Okay, we'll write about that when it happens, but for the time being, that is their clear thing that they need to work on the most. It's the thing that they've identified in the offseason as their biggest issue. It's the thing that Urban Meyer hired to repair, and I don't doubt that with all the things that they've done to try to repair that, that it will be better, but until that we see that, I'm not going to say that it's, that it's a fixed situation at this point. Was that kind of strong? That was strong. It was good, though. It was, I think you're right. You're right. I think that we did a good podcast without Doug. 
Yeah, Doug will no longer be a part of Buckeye Talk moving forward. It'll just be our because the ratings just shut off the charts and. That oh wait, there was one other funny question I wanted to ask. Okay. Um, where the heck is it? Oh Come yeah, on. Josh Josh Steinman or Steeman. If you were a pro baseball player, what song would be playing when you walked up to the plate? That's impossible. Umbop by Hanson. Uh, well, you stole mine. Um, in honor of the death, I knew you were going to say that <laughs> of Prodigy, who was in Mob Deep and one of my favorite. Uh, rap groups when I was a kid. And it actually, if you go play the song, it's called Mob Deep, it's called Backwards. If you listen to the song, the beat actually has a very baseball-y walk-up feel to it. Really? So it actually is kind of appropriate. That would be my song. Um, I love rap music. I love Bill Landis. I love Doug Maurice. I love Cleveland.com, and I love you. Thanks so much for listening to Buckeye Talk, and we will catch you next week. That's not the right sign-off. I thought that was really good. Yeah, but we have a sign-off every I, week. Okay, sign-off. That was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>